and uh, thank you to Steve for inviting me to to come and share with you about compassion. And um, it was a real privilege to to spend some time over a coffee and uh, chat about the church and compassion in our work. And one of the things that we love to do is partner with the local church because we believe that the local church is the hope and the expression of God's love to this world. And so for myself, I count it a real honour and privilege. I should turn my phone, uh, my watch off, shouldn't I? Siri's talking to me. Um, It's a real privilege and uh, honour to be able to be a partnerships manager for Compassion UK and really be an advocate and represent those children and their families that live in extreme poverty. Right now, there's 365 million children that live in extreme poverty throughout our world. And poverty robs children of their basic rights to learn, grow and play. And children are the most vulnerable in communities where they're suffering from extreme poverty. It's a complete injustice that there's so many that live in this state. And the global benchmark for extreme poverty is those that are surviving on less than £1.95 a day. Which is hard to imagine, isn't it? Right now, in places like Haiti, one of the countries that we work in, a large bag of rice costs £23.67, pence, which is actually a month's wages. can't imagine for one second having to work for one month for a bag of rice. In Kenya, right now, for a one kilogram of powdered milk, it's 98 pence. Today's wages. And so our work and partnering with the local church is essential to see these children released from poverty in Jesus' name and I want us to just watch a short video for a few moments, which introduces the work of compassion. And that this morning, even though there's an opportunity to stand alongside a child, our work is so much more than that. So this video really encapsulates our work and hopefully will give you a taste of what's been happening throughout the world with the work of compassion in the local church. ...is complex and widespread. It devastates communities, families and those most vulnerable, children. But in the midst of great poverty, God provides the local church. A church is a family, a community reaching out to their neighbours, to children. God brings his hope and love to people of all nations through his church. But to reach out to children and families living in poverty, a church sometimes needs a partner. That's where compassion comes in. Compassion works in partnership with local churches in 25 developing countries around the globe. Our goal is to see children released from poverty in Jesus' name through the love and practical support of their local church. Compassion is proudly Christ-centered, child-focused, and church-based. We believe that addressing poverty in all its complexity and difficulty means showing children and their mums and dads that God loves them and sent Jesus for them. 
He's the only one able to truly release children from the four forms of poverty, spiritual, socio-emotional, physical, and economic. With the commitment of the local church and the power of God, our strategic programs have seen more than 2 million children released from poverty since 1952. All around the world, highly trained, dedicated staff, local experts like doctors and teachers, and passionate volunteers from the local church are building relationships with children, encouraging them, improving their access to medical care, safe water, nutritional support, and an education at a local school, showing them a different path, a path that will lead them out of poverty and into a new hope. From the womb to the workforce, Compassion helps in the long-term development of children because focusing on children is a powerful and effective way to spread wider change through families and communities. So how does it work? It works by nurturing babies in their first critical year of life and empowering their mothers through survival interventions. It works by equipping school-aged children for life through education and the individualized support of the Child Sponsorship Program. Compassion further supports these programs through interventions like building wells, classrooms, toilets, providing parents with education, and much more. Together, these programs help around 7,000 local churches meet the needs of children in their communities. From Bangladesh to Burkina Faso, from Ethiopia to El Salvador, Local people are creating local solutions to the problem of poverty. And in all those communities and churches, one thing stays the same. Our partnerships are built on integrity, trust, and accountability. So who is Compassion? Together, we're 1.8 million children, babies, and mums, and a million more graduates. We're hundreds of thousands of supporters and sponsors. We're passionate child advocates. We're mums and dads. We're businesses. We're community groups and churches. We're a community, a family that stretches across continents. We're united in heart, one in spirit, convinced that Christ and his church all over the world can work mighty wonders in the face of extreme poverty. We're compassion, and we're releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. This year, Compassion celebrated 70 years of ministry, and it all began in 1952 when a minister was visiting South Korea and doing some ministry with a handful of churches, and one morning he decided to go on a prayer walk through the city, and as he walked down the street at 6am, he saw in the distance what he thought was men taking rags and rubbish off the roadside and throwing it into the back of a caged truck. And as he approached these men in the truck, he realised that it wasn't rags and rubbish, but it was small children that had perished during the night that were living on the streets. This man, Eric Swanson, his heart was stirred with compassion and he cried out to God and said what can I do to help these children and so he began to work with that small group of churches and over time they built an orphanage and 
began to expand their work and currently, globally, we are reaching 2.2 million children, serving them through our compassion programs, which are all based at local church partners in the field. And as the video said, that we've had a million children that have already graduated too. Their lives totally transformed, filled with hope and a future that they deserve. And all that transpired because one man made a decision to do something. And so compassion really, at the heart of our ministry, it's expressing God's heart for the poor. And currently we work in 26 countries in Africa, Central and South America and Asia and Indonesia. And throughout those 26 countries, we've got 8,500 local church partners which host and run a project and volunteers from the church come and serve these children. And what I love about our work is that it's all about meeting the needs of these children in developing countries and being part of development, but also taking the gospel of Jesus Christ and weaving it through everything that we do. The difference with compassion, I believe, is that we are Christ-centred. Christ is central to our work. And in fact, over the years, a number of times, compassion has been asked to take away Jesus out of our strapline. Our strapline is releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. And they said, well, if, you're not, if you take the word Jesus out and you become a bit more open to other people and maybe you get more people engaged in your work but Christ is right at the center of what we do it's about all that we do because he is the hope of the world and our work is church-based because we believe that the local church isn't going anywhere whenever there's a crisis whenever there's difficulty the local church always stands up and chooses to step in the gap and make a difference and the reason we're child-focused because they are the most vulnerable And we want to ensure that children that live in these communities and circumstances, because it was the place that they were born, it wasn't through choice. They get access to medical care, education, the gospel, recreation activities, and a pathway to hope that will build a future where they'll see them released from poverty. We know that the poor is at the heart of God. And there's so many examples in scripture where God's heart for the poor and the marginalized are expressed and spoken about. But there's one particular story that fascinates me. And it's the story of blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10. I just want to read a few verses and then just pull out a few thoughts from this scripture Because I find it extremely challenging as a disciple of Christ. Verse 46 says, When they came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was here, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David! Have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, 
Have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man. Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What can I do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately receiving his sight, he followed Jesus along the road. I remember a number of years ago when I was 16 years old and had the first opportunity to go on my short-term missions trip to London. And it was back in the mid-80s. And it was when it was common to go and do street ministry where you'd do dances and dramas and share your story about how Jesus has changed your life. And during this week in London, we'd do those kind of outreaches in Leicester Square. And we'd have hundreds and hundreds of people gather around us. And they were, we were there in our shell suits and trainers. Anyone remember those shell suits mid, in the mid-80s? And I remember on this particular day, I think it was the second day, I saw this man. He was, he was a homeless man and he was just standing to one side. And uh, I went up and I started to create a conversation with him. And, um, and we began to speak and he said um, that his name was Clint and he'd been on the streets for 25 years. And I'd noticed before we set up for the outreach that um, it kind of skip and twist and do things like that and go through the Leicester Square and people would kind of stare at him and think, who's that weirdo? And ignore him. And he told me a little bit about his story and um, the next day he came and we carried on the conversation and I said, hey Clint, can I take you for lunch? He said, that'd be great. So we went and had a greasy burger at Burger King just across the way. And we sat there and we just shared our lives. And I told him about how Jesus had changed my life as a 13-year-old. And that the reason that we were here this week was to share the love of Christ with people. And over the course of the next two or three days, he responded and he gave his life to Jesus. And he took this bottle of whiskey out of his long green trench coat and he went and put it in the bin. And at the end of each day at the outreach, one of the coordinators and leaders would say, has anyone got anything to share? I remember Clint stood next to me at the back of this small group. And he put his hand up and he said, yes, I've got something to share. And I remember this leader's response made me so angry as a young man. He pointed at this homeless man called Clint and he said, you have got nothing to say. Now, if I'm totally honest, my 16-year-old head was telling me to punch his lights out. (laughs) I was so angry. And I thought, this man has every right to say what he'd like to say. And Clint stormed off, and he went and picked his bottle of whiskey up out of that bin, and he went. Thankfully, the next day he returned, and I managed to continue a conversation. And when I left him in the hands of... The Ichthus Fellowship that was based in Leicester Square. And I don't know to this day what happened to him. But that experience that day changed my life forever. And I believe that the reason I'm doing what I'm doing today, having done a number of things in ministry over the years, 
is because that day God gave me his heart for the poor, for the marginalized, for the least of these. And I try my best whenever I walk through the city of Bristol, which is where I live, or if I'm in the city of London, where I used to live. If I see a homeless person, I always try to acknowledge them, even though I may not have any cash on me to give them. Because the thought of sitting on a roadside at the height of everyone else's kneecaps and being ignored must be one of the most difficult things to experience in life. But here in this scripture, Jesus is teaching, as rabbis did in that day. And in fact, he was on his way out the city of Jericho, on his way to Jerusalem, which was a 17-mile journey on foot to prepare himself, to give himself for you and for me and hang on that cross. And here he is with his disciples and his followers and those people that were interested in what he had to say. And there's blind Bartimaeus. He hears that Jesus is in town and he cries out and says, Jesus, have mercy on me. And all those people, the disciples that had spent three years listening to Jesus about the kingdom of God and that this upside down kingdom is very different from what we think it is. And they chose to tell blind Bartimaeus to shut up, to be quiet. But Jesus in this moment stopped. He stopped for this blind beggar, this guy that had been on the streets day in, day out, year in, year out, begging for food and for survival. And he stopped and he said, call him. So all of a sudden, the crowd went from saying, shut up, to get up. Come on, he's calling you. Jesus changed the rhetoric of the crowd because he stopped for a moment and recognized that here was a man that needed help. And what I love about this story is that blind Bartimaeus chose to ignore the crowd. You know, I don't know how he found the courage and the confidence to keep crying out to this crowd who were saying, shut up. He had this faith, this determination not to give up, not to settle for anything less than getting in front of Jesus that day. And Jesus called him over and he knew exactly what he needed. But he still chose to ask him, what can I do for you? And blind Bartimaeus said, Rabbi, I want to see. And you know, I read this scripture for years and years. And I always ask myself this question. Why didn't Jesus go to blind Bartimaeus? Why did he call him across to him? And one day the thought crossed my mind was, maybe Jesus just wanted blind Bartimaeus to take a step of faith towards him. And to have the opportunity to answer that question, Jesus, I want to see. You see, sometimes when we're believing for a miracle, we want, when we want Jesus to show up in our lives, regardless of what our needs are, he wants us to take a step of faith and he wants us to confess with our mouths what we want him to do for us. 
It's a great lesson for us to learn here. But what I love is that Jesus, after his response, he said, go, your faith has healed you. And he followed Jesus along the roadside. I do wonder whether he followed Jesus all the way to Jerusalem and saw him die on the cross. But this story is so much more than a miracle. It's, it's about the attitude of someone who was desperate, someone who was in incredible need. But he had the tenacity, the faith and the belief to know that Jesus could change his life. And in a moment, I'm going to invite you to consider joining the story of someone else's life, a, a, ch- a child that lives in extreme poverty. But before we do that, I, I want to create just a moment where you think of what can Jesus do for you right now? What is your need? What is your request this morning? Because we all have a level of need in our lives, whether it's something that's physical, practical, relational or emotional. But Jesus, he stopped for each and every one of us. And whatever your cry is this morning, whatever you are wanting from Jesus this morning, he can. And he wants to call you towards him and meet your need. What I love about Glendale that I found out through just my conversation with Steve is that you've just got a heart for the community, the way you serve, even on your board outside you can see there's so many things you engage in. You've got a real heart to engage with the community, the poor, the marginalised. And even this morning as Mark prayed for your friends that live in Japan and Cambodia and Uganda and those are the nations that you have links with and you pray for and you support um, financially with them. There's so much need, isn't there, in our world and there's so many great things we can engage with. But this morning as we think about compassion, as we think about these children that live in extreme poverty... I'd like us to think about global mission in its context. And I don't know if any of you have had the opportunity to go and visit a country and serve in a missional context within another country for a week or two or maybe even longer. But I know for me, when I've been and done overseas missions, and I've done them in a number of countries, and have been to see the work of compassion in Kenya and um, Ghana and... I'm going to be going to Uganda in May. But whenever I visit a place of poverty, it leaves a mark on me that I cannot deny. And I look at these communities and even though on these photographs you won't see many children smiling because they're told not to. (laughs) But there's so much joy in these communities. You know, when you meet these kids, they've just got a massive smile on your face. I know you've been to Uganda, Steve, right? And you, you know, and you just think, you go and visit these families and there's literally nothing in, in, in their one-bedroom mud hut with a tin roof. You know, the whole family sleep on the floor. They go and cook on a fire outside. 
But when you're sitting with them, there's just this joy. And I think, when I think of that scripture, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I think these guys know exactly what that scripture means and they live it. And I think I've got absolutely nothing to complain about. Even though right now we live in a, an economical crisis globally where everything's going up through the roof. And, you know, my, my gas and electric bill came through the post the other day and I'm just like, this is ridiculous. But I can still pay it, you know. And I find that there's still many things in my life that are more, there's plenty of wants still engaging in my life than just need. But these children and their families, they are in desperate need. And so this morning, I want to invite you to become part of a beautiful story that God's building across these nations through compassion in the local church. And through the child sponsorship, which really is a way that we fund a holistic discipleship process, where it gives children the opportunity to engage in the education that they deserve. It gives them the opportunity to access medical care. So every child every year will get a medical checkup to check their physical health. And when they're ill, we engage and give them the medical care they need to enable them to become well again. They visit every Saturday a compassion project which is hosted by the local church where they'll receive nutritional meals because we don't know what meals they're eating during the week. Some of them may go two or three or four days without any food. They got the opportunity to engage in recreational activities to build healthy ref- friendships, but most of all to hear the message of the gospel and respond to the gospel. They all receive a Bible and we give them an opportunity to grow in every way as a child and as a young person and see them released from poverty. And I remember the first time I went and visited some of these children in their homes in Kenya and I'd ask them, what do you want to do when you grow up? And all of them had an answer, whether it was a carpenter, a doctor, a nurse or a social worker, you know, um, whatever it was, they all had an answer. But what I found interesting was that after every time they gave me the answer of what they wanted to do they tagged along afterwards and to release my family from poverty because we know that for every child that we help and engage with they have the opportunity as they're successful to bring out their families from poverty and so we have right now in the UK some um some adults that were compassion children and they've gone on to um, do various um, jobs and careers and some of them live in, here in the UK and they go and speak on our behalf and when I speak to all of them, they're all saying, we're sending money back home to get my brother and my sister and my cousin and through school and they're reinvesting in their family and people who they know. And so, this morning, I invite you to consider sponsoring a child, which costs £28 a month, which I know is not a small amount of money. 
But we guarantee as an organisation that a minimum of 80% goes towards the benefit of that child. And the other 20% goes towards finding the next child and the administration that helps us with that. So some of these children that we have here this morning, are, they've been in the project for some time and they're available for sponsorship again because maybe the person that sponsored them previously, um, their situation may have changed and they can't afford to sponsor them anymore or they may have passed on or some situation's changed. But what we do is we don't ask the child to leave the programme or the project if they haven't got a sponsor. We keep them in because we know that consistency that engagement every week is the key in the longevity of transforming their lives. And so some of that extra money goes to help to support that child that hasn't got a sponsor right now until we find one for them. One of the questions that I get asked often, and the questions obviously often is... Um, finish with I'm sorry for asking that question and I say you should never apologize for asking a brilliant question the question is this how much of that money goes towards that child and can you guarantee that the child does get that and I can say absolutely because the work that we do in our infrastructure it's always partnering with local churches, so it comes into compassion as a ministry worldwide. And every country has a national office, and that money is distributed to the projects where those children are. It doesn't go into the hands of individuals to do exactly what they want to do with it. There's accountability, there's accountants at projects. And so I feel that it's really important that we have integrity with our finance. Because as people give sacrificially, it's important they know that their money is being used in the right way and going to the people that they're supporting. And so as I just draw this time to a close, I'd like us just to watch another video of a story of a young man called Richmond who was in desperate need with his family and compassion engaged and his life was transformed. So let's watch the video and just hear a little bit about his story. When I was eight years old, my father was taken away from us and by that I mean he was murdered. Nothing was the same for me. News began to come to our doorstep. From our landlord, we got word that we couldn't stay in the house that we stayed anymore because we couldn't afford it. My mother had no job. My father was the only breadwinner. We moved from where we stayed to a place called Naguru Kasenke, which is one of Uganda's largest slums. And then I was introduced to our new home, which was a 12 by 12 room. I looked up on the roof, it was a tin roof that had holes in it. I've been to places where when it rains, people are happy, they get excited. But for me growing up, whenever it rained, that was a night that we would stay standing. Get little buckets, place just where the holes in the roof are, and wait until morning. A reality hit me that day. This was life. 
I remember when my mom said to us, there was no money for food. That ushered us into a place where we were now going to begin to go to the street to fend for food. Hunger began to set in. Lack of water. I was a kid. I, I didn't have time to be a child anymore. As I lived like this on a daily basis, poverty began to speak to me as a child. I felt I was nothing. I didn't matter. Nobody cared to know my name. I think the best way I could describe who I was and what I thought is the word hopeless. My mother, in tears, uh, approached one of her friends just to share with her friend. And her friend shared with her about compassion. Compassion staff members immediately came to our home. Uh, I remember them coming with uh, just uh, files to, to, to get details of who we were, what our story was. I got the news that a young lady, Heather, she was 15 years old, a teenager. She had decided to sponsor me. I cannot find the words to describe the joy that filled our home when we got the news. Richmond, you've got a sponsor, which means you can now go back to school. It means food will be given to us because of you. I began to walk into that reality that ushered in me an opportunity to rekindle this hope that was taken away. Heather began to write to me. To hear words like, Richmond, I love you. Richmond, I'm praying for you. They began to bring healing into places that were destroyed by voices and poverty and my self-image. I remember my day, June the 3rd, 1996. I walked forward to accept the Lord Jesus in my heart. I began to feel, wow, I have been released from poverty. I have been released. God began to continue to grow the leadership within me. And then I felt fully called to pursue pastoral ministry. I began the Pastors Discipleship Network, a ministry that exists to train and equip pastors. And I spend a lot of my life training and equipping pastors in the Word of God. Looking back into my life and thinking where I am right now and what I am doing, I don't think any of this would have been possible without compassion. Compassion works. Everything that was placed within the program has helped build me to who I am right now. Poverty is not just the lack of money, the lack of material, food and water. Poverty is in. It's deep. I credit a lot of how I feel now about myself to those letters that I received from my sponsor. My name is Richmond Wandera, and I was released from poverty in Jesus' name. Powerful story, isn't it? What I love about Richmond's story is it was a 15-year-old girl called Heather. It was from the UK that on a morning just like today, decided to sponsor Richmond. You know, Richmond's gone on to be the pastor of the church that hosted the project when he was a young boy. And he started this discipleship network and to date he's helped train and develop over 4,000 church leaders 
in Uganda. He now sits on the board of Compassion UK to help us understand and continue to improve what we do. And all of that has transpired because one girl made a decision to say, I'm going to help this guy with my pocket money. And so, as we reflect on the opportunity that we have today and on the scripture that I shared earlier, you know, Jesus decided to stop for blind Bartimaeus. He decided to stand alongside him. He set him free and he sent him into a future that blind Bartimaeus deserved. Could you consider doing that for one of these children this morning that I have with me? If you would like to stand alongside one of the children, um, there's a number of them here. I've got one here. His name's Paul. I've picked him because he's got the same name as me. But um, he's, they're all from Uganda, these children. Um, I know you've got relationship with people in Uganda, and this project is about an hour from that town. That's right. And so, um, and so in my conversations with Steve, we, we've decided to focus on a project in an area because in the future there could be an opportunity then for people to visit, go see the work of compassion and visit their sponsored child. And so um, if you are interested, then come and take a look. Um, there's a form inside you can just fill out here and um, you get to take the photograph of the child home and then I'll process the, uh, the rest into the office um, for tomorrow morning. But um, yeah, it would be amazing if you can just consider standing alongside us and particularly one of these children and uh, literally giving them a future which at the moment is almost an impossibility. So could I just pray for you before I hand back to... Um, to Mark. Father God, I just want to thank you for your heart for the poor. I want to thank you for the way in which Glendale serve the poor, the marginalized, and the people within this community so well. And the way that they engage with others in other nations too and help financially support them. But Lord, this morning as there's an invitation to to engage with a child, Lord, I just thank you that the program gives people an opportunity to personally engage in global mission. It puts a name and a face to poverty. It gives people an opportunity to receive a letter from the child and for them to write to the child and that it's not just a financial transaction, but it's relational. And yes, Lord, it's incredibly purposeful. but it's personal and practical. It's almost bringing global mission into our own homes and our own hearts as we take on these children. And so this morning, Lord, we just thank you that you're with us in everything that we do. We thank you that you do go before us. And Lord, I pray for Glendale as they endeavor to continue to reach out to those that are in their own neighborhood. Lord, continue to provide pathways to see the vision that they have fulfilled. That together as a community, they can see your kingdom purposes established within Thatcham and Newbury and the surrounding areas. Lord, continue to equip them Continue to resource them. 
and continue to give them the courage to keep on keeping on. To keep going, Lord, when even it's tough, when even things can seem difficult. And Lord, to believe and trust that you will fulfill everything that you have for this community. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Mark.